welcome to the second episode of EG Like Sunday Morning. This time entering your ears on Valentine's Day, because what could be more romantic than a deep dive into the office market and the residential sector? Joining me, I have our experts in each of those fields. The unflappable Graham Schoen, Head of Office and Workplace Research, and the incomparable Emma Rosser, Residential Editor. Welcome to you both. Hello. Wow. What an introduction. Hello, Jess. Thank you for that. <laughs> well deserved, both of you. So just first, since we're, we're going out at 10 a.m. on a Sunday, let me just ask you, uh, what's a typical Sunday breakfast look like for each of you? Well, mine, I, I to be honest, uh, it depends on what's been eaten uh, Saturday night, to be honest. Mm. So if, say, I've eaten quite late on Saturday night, I'll, I'll just skip breakfast entirely on Sunday and have like a massive baguette or something on uh, on Sunday lunchtime or something like that. Or if I haven't, then usually I'll just have uh, cereal, like a, a sort of like a, almost like a children's cereal, like a Wheatos or something as a treat. Because every day of the week I'm on Weetabix. That's what fuels the the kind of the data analysis that I do during the week. And at the weekend, it's something like crunchy nut clusters or something like that, if I'm lucky enough to actually have breakfast. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know any of this about you, Graham. I, I'm so boring. I just don't tend to have breakfast. Or if I do, maybe I'll have a banana. It really banana? pales in comparison to Graham's. Nothing wrong with that. That's what, <laughs> this, this, what this podcast is all about, finding out a little bit more about the team as we delve into the real estate sector <laughs> so hold on so, so emma you don't have breakfast during work days you just up and just straight onto the laptop straight onto the coffee then the laptop and then sometimes i'll be like oh i'm a bit hungry i have a banana and then then normally to be honest but it's got to lunch already wow that is I'm that's, too busy that's absolutely <laughs> remarkable because if i don't have breakfast and i start work i just work angry i work furious ah interesting <laughs> Well, maybe right, maybe I have that and I just am not aware. <laughs> I did hear Tim Burke's tummy rumbling recently, so I, I'd like to ask him about his breakfast routine as well, actually. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and make it a staple question. Uh, Graham, <laughs> you, you must have been channeling some of that, that fury this week, and I, I imagine it, it must have been a, a three Weetabix week, uh, a big a big event in your calendar, the release of the London office market analysis for the fourth quarter of 2020. Um I don't think it takes a professional office analyst to predict that the figures will be down year on year. But uh, what are the Loma headlines? Yeah, it's sort of Weetabix plus plus a bit of sugar on top, really, uh, <laughs> just to just to get me through Weetabix for dinner as well. Um, yeah, it, 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 it was an interesting one. Um, it's like you say, it didn't need um, endless uh, analysis, I suppose, to say like there's not as much space taken up this year. Uh, as in previous ones, not as quite as much uh, investment as well. It really be it became kind of clear after the first uh, quarterly analysis I wrote in April um, what the year was going to be um, uh, for kind of the, the the remaining three quarters, I suppose. Um, Q1 was okay um, for lettings and things like that, but obviously we'd just gone into lockdown. Um, I think that was when the market was starting to to just kind of realise that deals are going to be a lot harder to get in train. Um, and Q3 in 2020 was like the lowest quarter we've ever recorded for take up. It was less than a million square feet, which hasn't happened since we started monitoring uh, the market um, effectively in 2006. Since um, records began, as they say. Yeah, since records began. I'd love, obviously, to go back to the 80s, the 70s, 80s and you know look at office mm. uh, take up in, uh, in what we deem now as central London back then. 
could have been uh, yeah, obviously could have been lower uh, than what we've got. But um, but yeah, Q4 uh, was even lower still. It was just below 900,000 square feet. And amazingly, just before we came on air, technically, I mean, I'm not going to amend the take-up figures, but they've gone down somehow. <laughs> it's the, the first time I've ever seen like take-up figures actually de- like technically decrease because uh, Baker McKenzie. Uh, was one of the largest uh, deals uh, last year, around 153,000 square feet. And um, the news just broke that they're actually only going to take 130,000 square feet. Uh, so it just, just dipped down by about 20,000 20, odd um, uh, square feet at the, uh, the the new headquarters that they were going to let. So yeah, the first year on record that has actually reduced after it's even finished, um, which is you know quite amazing and actually fairly typical. But in terms of what like what it is next to expectations you can't really have any specific expectations for a pandemic struck market Mm. we don't we've never there's no comparables uh to go back through the annals of history and say well you know like when this happened last time it was a little bit higher so 2020 is really bad in comparison all you can really do is look at as many metrics as you can against maybe historic downturns so obviously the main one that we've got proper benchmarks for is the global financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Even then, um, take up was still, you know, a little bit better than it has been um, in 2020. But what was notable about, about um, what happened back then, I mentioned this in the piece, is that rents really tumbled like quite drastically from 2008 to 2010 by around about a quarter across the mm-hmm. board, across all grades of space in London. And that didn't happen uh, in 2020, um, which given the kind of lack of activity is quite remarkable. But it also, I think, speaks to the type of deals that are going through. So in in kind of housing markets, um, as has kind of been mentioned, uh, I think a few times in recent commentary, because again, this is something that's that's cropping up. Are prices decreasing? Are they increasing? And in London specifically, I think there's a phenomenon basically where Prices were actually holding up because people were buying houses. There was more houses kind of going through in the transactions than flats towards the end of the year. And sometimes when when you kind of come to like analyze what's happening in the office world, there's a quite a voracious or still like pretty decent appetite for the real best in class space for that kind of mm. top level stock. Even like at the start of this year, we saw like a record rent. Uh, being set in the city in amongst all the aggregate figures showing kind of rents just kind of starting to tail off a little bit. So those kind of things can kind of outperform and and make the the stats maybe kind of look slightly slightly better than they are. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of interesting, I suppose, in the context of the entire wider discussion around offices and London specifically, is that if that can happen, there's obviously still a decent appetite for physical office space. So can the market actually provide it? And at the same time, what is actually going to happen to the stock that pretty much gets left behind and gets left behind at a really faster pace than it might otherwise have done? With such kind of low take-up figures, there's a lot of space that's just kind of out there, rattling around, may not be able to attract uh, the adequate or the um, the amount of tenant interest that it may have done in a bit more kind of scarce times, I suppose, for office space. And what's actually going to happen to it? Can it actually flow onto the market, get occupied, or does it just need basically converting or changing into something else? And how easy is that to do when it's on a kind of level by level basis? If it's just individual kind of flaws in a building that are coming onto the market as a result of vacations, mm-hmm. you kind of need the whole asset to change or, to, or for something to happen with it um, in order to, to really kind of realize the value of the site, I suppose. 
unless you did something like change it into flexible space but um i suppose that's uh, that's possibly easier easier said than done mm. but th- those are effectively uh, like some of the headlines um that's on the kind of occupational side of things i guess investment um was uh, did actually pick up a little bit towards the end of the year so i think some deals that they kind of ended up coming through just in the final quarter um we recorded around 3.5 billion um in transactions i think there was another quite large one at white city which just falls outside of our um monitoring boundary so that one was also also came through so i think some uh, industry figures kind of uh, was closer towards uh, around about 4 billion but 3.5 uh, from us is nearly the same as the preceding 9 months combined uh, mm-hmm. so we ended up just over over 7 billion um and there's some optimism i think that that following uh, after kind of vaccine rollouts and, and and all this kind of thing that both the investment world uh, and the leasing world can just start to pick up again but i think what it will need is a bit of clarity on the the occupational side as to what tenants want going forward and how this kind of segmentation of working practices is actually going to manifest itself um in the physical office world and if if you know instances like baker mckenzie um today you know keep happening that just kind of chips away at the quantum of of space that we that we actually need you know mm. in in london kind of in perpetuity and then it's kind of what happens with those with those buildings and those assets do we kind of do we need to do something different with them uh, and do we actually kind of need to to develop them a bit more uh, or develop a few more kind of high grade spaces in their stead just so we keep the flow of of tenants moving into the capital Thanks, Graham. There, there is a reason that I introduced you as unflappable, because during that, uh, my cat was causing chaos, uh, wobbling a chair and brushing herself up against the microphone. Apologies uh, if that uh, caused any uh, interruptions in sound, but but Graham just carried on through as if nothing was happening. Which <laughs> if, is if, any, it, yeah, if anything, it spurred me on, Jeff. <laughs> it's still, I was that's I was waving at the cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's the professionalism we're looking for. Um, so, uh, of course, it isn't all about London. You, you've also been digging into the regional figures. Uh, so uh, do they follow a similar story? That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's um, it, these, I think, are, are coming out um, early next week. But again, it's looking at the full year. Um, and it's it's purely, I think, take up performance that I've looked at. So just the occupational side of things. It, it's really similar. Um it's, it's, I'm always a bit nervous about kind of badging regional cities all kind of in together. So the, the data will show them, you know, as as individual places uh, because they are with their own kind mm. of dynamics and things like that. But ultimately, when you look through the headlines, it's a very, very similar type of thing. Um, I think five out of the six regional cities, um, we record deals last year where it's, it's a, an increased kind of headline rent. So there's a, there's a kind of record-breaking almost rent set for an office deal so there's still kind of immense value i think being put on the right kind of office space by occupiers and they're willing to shell out for it in order to secure that pitch before anybody else does it's just that that is where activity is heavily concentrated and so that had a knock-on effect for the rest of the market you've, you've got kind of those spaces transacting not much else i think it, to be honest if you combine all the um all the, the 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 six cities in terms of office take up, it's not as drastic a, a drop as London year on year. London was about sixty percent down on 2019, but the uh, the regional cities are, I believe, around thirty seven percent down um, in total. So it's not quite as bad. But again, it's a it's a relative lack of activity. But what activity is there is kind of concentrated at 
the really kind of high grade of space not necessarily huge deals in terms of square footage there's a few kind of big ones out there um uh, you know bt kind of springs to mind bailey gifford um in edinburgh uh, really helped their figures um but yeah it 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 Broadly speaking, it's it is actually relatively similar pattern to London, and so it's it's interesting to think about this in in broader occupier terms about what we've said about the, the future of work. There's still obviously a, a place for the communal centralised office uh, space, in, uh, you know, as part of maybe a a more flexible strategy as we go forward. But in terms of what occupiers are willing to to do and what they're willing to to commit to across the country is, is is still actually like relatively remarkable considering some of the stuff that that, that was said you know at the onset of i guess the lockdowns about mm. offices being dead you know we can just work from home in perpetuity um there's been some headlines and some research i think into lockdown fatigue i mean work from home fatigue and i think that probably percolates through into decision making at, at some of these um at some of these firms who who know that they're going to need a bit of a hybrid mm. model, um, something different, um, or, or at least a, a good communal space to offer their employees where you can do a number of things better. Like on-job training can be done with a little bit more focus, a bit more empathy. There's certain technical tasks um, that need to be done, um, I think, or can be done a little bit better in a, in a communal office space. And, you know, there's the other things that people talk about, the serendipity of being in an office, the kind of ad hoc knowledge generation and the the easiness or easierness of meetings. Mm. Um, all fewer of those, cats. Fewer, fewer cats, cats overall. Yeah, fewer, fewer screen cats. Yeah. Please like bring it. your cat into the office, Jeff. <laughs> I'll well, try my best. First I, actually day think, back. I actually think like, yeah, the, the, the first time I have a um, an in-person meeting in the office, I, I'm just going to kind of replicate the lockdown thing by freezing in person, just as if my internet's <laughs> gone. I kind of a hologram sat on a seat just going, eat it. it. Uh, I like the idea of our, our first day back in in EG Towers being a bring your pets to work day. That sounds that sounds uh, like it would be a good way to readjust. All evolved lockdown. <laughs> all up in our pajamas. I'll have a broken well, mug and a cold cup of coffee. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Graham will have his Weetabix. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, thanks for that that taster. Uh, you can you can uh, read Graham's full Loma lockdown uh, in print uh, in this week's EG or online on the EG website, where the the graphs spring into action before your very eyes, and uh, also uh, a, a teaser there for the regional uh, material that should go online next week. Um, so turning from offices to Resi, uh, Emma, uh, you of course last week launched your own fabulous Resi Talks podcast series. Beginning with a look at the impact of PDRs. So, uh, if you're one of the few out there who haven't downloaded it yet, be sure to give that a listen. Um, but this week, uh, you've been all over Housing Secretary Robert Jenrick's plans for a levy oh, on. God, residential... I was wondering where that was going. Yes, I yes, have. you've been all over Robert Jenrick's plans <laughs> for a levy <laughs> on residential developer profits. Uh, the Resi Devi levy. You didn't the say Resi-Devi it. Levy. I, I didn't want to steal it away. The Resi Devi Levy, perfect, uh, to raise two billion pounds uh, towards high-rise cladding remediation. So, uh, yeah, what does the Secretary of State have planned? Yeah, so yesterday in the House of Commons, Robert Jenrick unveiled these plans for a new levy on the residential developer profits. So the aim is to to raise two billion over a decade um, towards cladding remediation for buildings over 18 metres and the tax will come into force in 2022 
And um, it will be in addition to another tax, the Gateway 2 Developer Levy, um, which we don't have a lot of detail on and people are already asking questions. Mm. Um, so that would be applied at planning for high rise development on top of the developer contributions um, levy as well. So lots of levies. Um, and Generic said the new mechanisms will make the industry pay for the faults of the past. Um, and he also confirmed a further 3.5 billion from the government, bringing the grant funding for cladding remediation to just over 5 billion. And he announced a long-term loan system for owners living in properties under 18 meters. Um, so the, the industry reaction, um, it was about this time last week that um, actually Barrett Chief Executive Dave Thomas had already said that he would support a levy. Um, and he did say that house builders have a collective responsibility. Um, and we've been seeing a lot of the, the biggest house builders um, sort of announcing how much they're spending um, on, on the remediation of their buildings. And actually it was on the same day, so yesterday, that Persimmon had announced that they would be spending 75 million on cladding remediation. Um, and that follows several other announcements from housing associations as well. Uh, not everyone has had the same reaction. Um, I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> sure, there are some strong feelings. <laughs> there are some strong feelings. And I'm sure you know, among among the, the house builders, I, I imagine there are some strong feelings that we haven't seen. But, but one smaller developer, Southern Grove, put out a pretty fiery response yesterday from its chairman. Um, Andrew Southern. So he said, taxing developers, most of whom weren't responsible for the cladding crisis, is just laughable. Why should a company that has never installed dangerous cladding and perhaps never built high-rise blocks in the past be tarred with the same brush? Um, and he then went on to say that the tax would stagnate house building and disincentivize development in high-density areas. Um, and that latter point um, could could potentially, if you've got a, a, a levy that's specifically aimed at, first of all, you've got your resi profits levy, but you've also got one that's specifically targeted at high-rise development. It would make sense why he would say that. Um, and it sort of comes at a time when everyone is talking about how actually we do, we need more housing um, mm. and, and high-rise development is one way to get that. Um, probably one of the most telling responses was um, the fact was on the markets yesterday. So the house builders all tanked. Um, and I looked at, at the end of the day when the markets closed, the, the largest 10, and we saw combined across, across them um, 1.6 billion wiped off their market capitalizations. Um, mm -hmm. So Bellway was the worst hit um, and alone losing 250 million in value as its share price dived by over 6%. Um, so the, the house builder share prices have obviously been all over the place since the beginning of um uh, the pandemic, but there's an, another drop um, at a difficult time, with more costs to come potentially. What do you what do you make of that? Um, the the resi devi levy. They pay so much in levies, mm. but they also make so much in profit. So yeah, they're, they're I don't know to... what's the right answer there. But I think that that what what was his name? Jonathan Seaborn. See something. I can't. And what was the name of the de the small developer? Oak Grove. Oh, Andrew. <coughs> Andrew Southern. Andrew, sorry, Andrew Southern. Not fucking Seaborn. But I, I suppose what he's saying is, well, we're, like we're a resi developer, but we don't do we don't do like high rise. We don't do towers. Mm. So why, like, the government just being quite basically, like, is it a typical government thing, right? They're just going, uh, tax them, tax all the the developers. Let's not try and chop it by. You know what but type of resume. In defence of Robert Jenrick, which I rarely say, um, a lot 
a lot of the buildings at the moment that need remediation don't have an owner or they don't know who the owner is or it's gone into receivership and so that's actually what's happening with some of the pd stuff as well is because right. the costs the banks won't the developer can't get any finance because of the, the cost of the cladding and the fire risk and so it's sort of it's got to a situation where it's ended up with a receiver and then they're having to try and sell it on and so what robert jenrick said yesterday so well, i said that it has to be said there's no simple solution to this many of the builders and developers that constructed those buildings are long gone they've gone into administration they are shell companies offshore um, which is a part of it um and so so, ba so basically it's that what they've said is what they've said more or less is like just the industry has to pay for this whether you whether you contributed to it or not whether you're directly involved with these types of uh premises you are a house builder you profit off the you know the market that you're in we need some of the money that you make back in order to, to remediate these buildings because they're a fire risk they do but they also you know if it's your building it's your responsibility um and then you're entitled to grant finance over the 18 meters yeah um right. so so and, and and if it's under 18 meters which is a lot of buildings as well that's your responsibility and you don't get grant funding and mm -hmm. that could be your responsibility if you're the developer building owner or if you're the leaseholder so um you know there's still all of that to pay for as well so mm. i yeah. don't know yeah they're just sort of scraping for you know it's pushed onto everybody isn't it yeah pretty much I, I mean that that was probably the the thing that was that would have been expected from this this type of yeah of crisis this type of issue but i kind of understand what where andrew is coming from when he when he says like this, this isn't SME developers, that, it's really that, difficult yeah, for them to yeah. make a profit well i don't know about making profit but it is it's a challenging environment to you know to, to buy a site to bring it through the planning process the length of time and cost it takes to that kind of developing is not simple and doesn't lead to to simple profits but at the same time you do have the house builders that have seen significant profits largely down to um help to buy as well mm. and interestingly just uh, yesterday ballymore put out their they didn't put them out they they filed their end of year report for last year and um that was and they made 96 million in profit um right. it's you know Ballymore's huge but at the same time um there will be a lot of people looking at that and saying 96 million in profit could you please pay for your remediation mm. I'm sure that Ballymore are but but you know that 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 that's one argument as well which I'm sure you'll be uh keeping on top of in in resi talks and elsewhere on the site Yes. Uh, anything else in the news that caught your eye this week? Yes, all of my stories, of course. <laughs> and I'll what, are your greatest, what are your greatest hits <laughs> this week? This week gave me an opportunity to use um, a pun that I was gifted, actually, from our news editor, uh, Pui Guan Man. Um, so I was reporting on a, another potential big resi scheme in Birmingham, um, local developer court collaboration has agreed to acquire a city centre car park from the council um, and so courts expected to bring forward a scheme of potentially up to 600 homes on this car park um, right next to the paradise development um, some some prime values there and it's sort of perfect for build to rent as well so that gave us brum brum was the was the pun from from <laughs> um we lots of talk of uh, how uh court is now no the council is driving forward its plans mm -hmm. and i think our subs had some fun as well with um with clamping as well so fingers crossed they don't stall and all that kind of thing yeah yes it can literally run and run 
Can we recycle this story uh, for diary, do you think, next week? Well, this it's good. I think you probably will need a litany of, of car-related um, things for, for house building. Surely car parks in city centres are going to be pretty popular, you would think, going forward for you know kind of resi schemes. Quite like centralised, maybe not as much. Oh yeah, for them yeah, as it's definitely a trend. Sorry, Graham, I was waiting for the joke, but we can talk without <laughs> jokes. It's fine. But not everything. There's not levity in absolutely everything I say. No. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> no, it's just hard. Car, park, car park to resi, um, yeah, definitely for Birmingham. It's a big one as well. They've got um, so I mean they they sold this Brinley Drive car park, but they've brought three other car parks to the um, uh, to the market just last month with Avison Young, um, and so it's trying to make in city centres kind of using value trying to find a way to make use of valuable space but also um Birmingham's um introducing their clean air zone this year as well so they'll be taxing um drivers and so it all sort of is the sort of cities of the future that that we would like to see or they would like to see we would all like Mm. so yeah basically let's not use all of our car puns in this one story (laughs) because we might need them (laughs) i'll have to tap up for you for some more some more rum rums um (laughs) But yeah, it, and then just aside from that, just to note some of the other reporters. Um, so we did have a bit of a week for councils um, and our London reporter, Alex Daniel, was on the podcast last week, wrote about uh, Lambeth bringing forward Resi at Pop Brixton, um, which will be very interesting to see. Um, they want to do some affordable housing there as well. And also Camden Council is nearing a deal with luxury Resi developer Godfrey London many years after they sort of launched a hunt for um, a redevelopment in West Hampstead. So there's plenty going on. Plenty going on. Not all not all with puns, some with puns. It's a, a nice mix of, of levity and the serious cold hard business of real estate. That's what we're here for on EG like Sunday weekend. morning. Uh, <laughs> so seeing as though I've got you got, got you both here, it's, it's time to ask uh, the, the ultimate question once and for all. Resi or offices, which is better? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> what, what an on-the-spot question. The broadness of better as well. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it, I, I think there's, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to make the case that, that offices are, are, are better um, <laughs> than homes. I don't think I'd, I don't think it would hold much water, if I'm completely honest. Um, which yeah, is more exciting. We, which oh, is more exciting. It's so boring. Resi is yeah. clearly better, and I can prove it, because um, on this... Um, the Brum Brum story, there were office developers looking at that site and in the bidding process, the Resi developers won, which is evidence that Resi is better. Right. Got it. <laughs> okay. That's me fully put in my box. <laughs> Graham's conceded. If you say Resi's better, but... I'm gonna quote you on it. EG well, analyst. You, I mean I mean, in terms of which is more exciting, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a hell of a lot of facets to the to the office world. You know, your business parks. We've got serviced offices, uh, like kind of technology technology parks, science parks, all the different kinds of resi, uh, all the different kinds of office development. I should say, sorry, the different types of income stream there. I don't know about. I mean, resi. You've got tons of stuff as well. I'm just trying to make. There you go. He's coming out broad. He's, he's, just, he's he's giving it a good go. Just trying to make yeah, a plenty, plenty the, to be excited yeah. about with both sectors. So uh, yes, good that we we cover both. Well, let's, so, let's um, let, let the audience decide. Just put the podcast. That's true. We're going to just do a, a do a poll. Yeah, oh, just stick a poll on on Twitter. Just do a Twitter poll. That's all. That's all anybody does these days to gauge opinion. That is. That's how everything is decided Amen. Uh, from now on. So um, with that, may I say a big thank you to uh, Emma and Graham for for viewing the last week. 
Um, and finally, let me look ahead at the week to come uh, when we have plenty more podcasts to keep you occupied. On Monday, our fearless leader, Samantha McClary, talks to Air Rated and Ashby Capital about indoor air quality, about why indoor air quality is becoming as important to occupiers as rental and lease terms. Then on Tuesday, Sam and industry consultant Jane Hollinshead discuss social mobility in real estate. On Wednesday, get ready to hear the dulcet tones of Graham Schoen once again, as he and head of retail and industrial research, James Child, launch the first episode of their new series. Everyone's got a new series. Their new series, No Filter, uh, which will be an audio homage to all things spreadsheet. Uh, so I'm particularly looking forward to that. Um, at the same day, I should have a new episode of On the Case uh, discussing uh, a High Court judgment on an eye-watering £2.3 million service charge bill for management consultants McKinsey. Then, on Friday, the big EG interview will go up, uh, a highlight of everyone's week. And two days later, we bring it all full circle, and you can listen in to another EG-like Sunday morning. Who will join me then? Find out next Sunday morning.